we're going to jump over. I spent most of the week already thinking a bit about uh, Psalm 15, since we were using it for our, our, our pastoral prayer this morning. And so uh, this afternoon I spent a little extra time uh, looking at uh, Psalm 15 uh, for tonight. And so if you have your Bible, just turn with me over to Psalm 15, relatively short uh, little psalm, just five verses long, and let me read uh, this psalm to you. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right speaks the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved or shall never stumble. So the the question in Psalm 15 is really a, a simple, basic, very fundamental spiritual question and one that we we always raise on a Sunday like this in which we had communion, namely, so who, who are genuinely the people of God? Uh, what are they like? Uh, is everybody who claims to be among the people of God actually among the people of God? And, and if not, and if not, how can you tell the difference? between those who are genuinely the people of God and those who are are not. Uh, Now, at communion, we we raise this every time, right? That's what's what's going on in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 11. Paul is... uh, uh, is dealing with a group of people who at Corinth tend to have uh, no lack of spiritual self-confidence, but many who have a lot of spiritual self-confidence, Paul is not convinced that they have any spiritual reality to back it up. And so as he calls them to the communion table, he raises that issue with them. Uh, we read this every, every month, 
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then the next paragraph begins. Whoever therefore eats and drinks or eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So let a person, (coughs) he says, run a series of tests upon themselves. That's That's the sense of that word, Examine. Uh, let a person do some self-testing to see who they who they really are. Uh, now, remember, in the, in the midst of that little statement about the Lord's Supper, he refers to the new covenant in His blood. This cup is the new covenant. In his blood, which is without question a reference to Jeremiah 31, 31 and, and, and following, where we, read, where we read this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my my people. So let a person examine themselves. Examine themselves for what? For this. Is there any evidence that this law has been written on your heart? Is there any evidence that what you call your Christianity has has actually changed you? in any fundamental way? That's the question. Now that's the question in Psalm 15. Only this, it's it's not the Lord's table. Uh, We're we're particularly well placed uh, as our, our, our Sunday night group to be in Psalm 15 because Psalm 15, rather than talking about who can come to the Lord's table, poses the question, 
who can appropriately come to the tabernacle? And we spent months and months and months uh, going through uh, the last chapters of the book of Exodus, which, which outlines the nature, the symbolism, the importance, the, 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 the absolute centrality to Israelite worship that is all bound up with the tabernacle. And Pastor Don put images of uh, what they think it might have looked like up there and all kinds of details <coughs> about the symbolic nature of some of the pieces of it, the meaning of the materials being used, all of that. And in Psalm 15, that's the question. So who, it's the same question, really, as the Lord's table question. Who are the genuine people of God? Who can rightly come and approach and participate in the worship of God that is focused in the tabernacle, and by David's day, as we'll see in a moment, the tabernacle is, uh, is located in Jerusalem, and so he uses a double image uh, in his opening question. So verse 1 is simply the question. So here's the question. O oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent and who shall dwell, and here's the reference to Jerusalem, in the, in the mountain of holiness. So who can rightly show up at the tabernacle where it presently sits in Jerusalem, this place that God has set aside for himself, the tent that God has set aside for himself, having given the Israelites the most detailed instruction on how to put it together. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant, as was mentioned uh, on Sunday nights, is in the midst of it. The ultimate presence of God. So here it is, the ultimate earthly presence of God fixated in this place. And who can approach God and assume that they have a a genuine sort of fellowship with him. Who are the genuine people of God? Um, A number of the commentators mentioned the last verse of Psalm uh, 23, where it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So that's his question. So who who are those who can have a confidence that they are going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the bulk of Psalm 15 is simply a single, multifaceted answer to that question. And then the psalm closes with a promise. So you have the question, 
You have the answer. And then the psalm closes with a promise. So we've already touched on the question. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in the mountain of the Lord's <coughs> holiness? And he gives like a fourfold answer to this, and each piece of the answer within the structure of the Hebrew poetry is a little longer. So he starts out with a short answer, and then he gives a slightly longer answer in a number of words, and then a slightly longer answer again, and then finally shortens it up a little bit in the fourth round, but it's like a fourfold answer to the question. And the opening answer is found in verse 2, <coughs> and it's built around two little simple Hebrew participles. Uh, so who shall sojourn in his tent, and who shall dwell in the mountain of his holiness? The one walking blamelessly, and the one doing righteousness and the one speaking truth in his heart the one walking blamelessly the the metaphor of walking in the bible is 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 your is your life your lifestyle uh, the overall tenor of your lifestyle, that is your walk. Uh, and, and so right up, right up front, right up front, he's making plain that there has to be a connection between what somebody claims to be and believe spiritually and the life that they actually live. There's got to be a connection between those two things. That connection is the first thing he mentions. Who is a proper tabernacle worshiper? And he says, well, that would be the one walking blamelessly. Well, who gets to decide what blameless is? Well, God does. Uh, so to walk blamelessly is simply to walk according to uh, the revealed will and word of God. That is the standard by which uh, a person knows what to be and what to do. And, and what you're looking for is the person who has begun to have their lives shaped by that word of God. The one walking blamelessly, um, that's who can uh, sojourn in the tent. The one practicing righteousness, same thing. The one speaking truth in their heart 
So again, you put all, all of that together. All he's really saying is, there's got to be this connection between the life and the statement. So that's answer number one. Answer number two, <coughs> verse three. Uh, this time he uses a little series of finite verbs to come at it. Uh, and he says this. And he does not put slander upon his tongue. And he does not do to his neighbor evil. And he does not lift up a reproach against the one who is close to him. He, he speaks truth in his heart, which means he doesn't slander. He doesn't slander. Uh, I was driving out to church early yesterday uh, morning, uh, around five o'clock or so, and uh, and at five o'clock on, uh, on on national public radio, they uh, they play the summary of uh, the BBC news. Uh, the BBC, of course, has the reputation of being uh, one of the most uh, pristine and prestigious and reliable uh, news sources in the world. Uh, that is their reputation, and they have, to some degree, they have earned that over a long period of time. Uh, but I was struck on this little sequence in, in, in driving out that they kept referring to the fact that this prisoner exchange is going on in, uh, in Israel, the hostage uh, exchange. Um, they called it a hostage exchange. So the hostage exchange is going on, and they, and they, and they kept on referring to the fact that Israel, uh, uh, the Hamas was releasing women and children, um, and, that, and that Israel was releasing women and children. So it's kind of a, you know, it's definitely a, a moral equivalent, right? So this is going on, and, and both of these sides have, have seized uh, women and children, and they are now exchanging them. And I'm listening and thought, well, I thought, I thought Israel was releasing prisoners. Um, and, uh, and then the BBC, in a, in a, in a moment of, of uh, disclosure, right at the end, said, well, now, what we mean by children is a woman who was arrested when she was 16 and a half years old for attacking a border guard with a knife. She's being released. Oh. Oh. Now what they meant by children on the other side, of course, is they were waiting to see whether this little four-year-old girl was going to be released to who watched her parents be murdered before her eyes, and she hasn't been yet. Uh, 
So when the BBC sets that up as a moral equivalency, is anybody being slandered? Oh, it's tremendously misleading. Shockingly misleading. You listen to me. This is the BBC. This isn't, this isn't some offshoot third grade band. This is the BBC. And this is the nature of public discourse in the, in, in the world in which we live right now. And you and I are to be a lot different than that. And so we, we need to be careful, right? Because um, the, the, the voices of the left are not only ones who twist the truth a little bit for their own sake on the radio. The voices of the right do the same thing. And we as believers have to be careful what we repeat and what we go along with and what we become comfortable with. Because our standards... Our standards are we don't take up slander on our tongue. We're careful about the truth. We speak truth in our hearts. That's that's who the Lord wants his worshipers to be. That's who he calls us to be. Um, And... It's, it's, it's a strong reminder to us to, uh, to watch ourselves in this world. He does not do evil to his neighbor. N- no one who lives near you should feel like they need to lock their garage specifically because you live next door. That, that should not that, that should not happen. Well, we you know we better we, we better lock the garage. You know Anderson lives next door. Uh, you know he'll be checking the knob. Uh, who knows what uh, what he'll be uh, taking out of our garage if you if he gets if he gets the chance. No, he says no no no. That should never that should never be. You can't be that kind of neighbor. You can't be that kind of person. You have to be the kind of person. You simply have no tendency to do evil to your neighbor. Uh, You don't lift up a reproach against those who are close to you. That is, you don't tell lies about anybody. You don't bear false witness. You're, You're careful in how you handle the truth. Um, um, and so this is all, again, related directly to the law. You shall not bear false witness. Now, all of these things, right, they are a staple in our cultural discourse right now. And so Christians should stand out, should stand out as markably different. That's who comes to worship at the tabernacle. That's what we need to be sure that we are like. Um, his third little answer, uh, his third little answer, a very, very interesting little phrase. Now we've got participles coming together with uh, finite 
uh, verbs and and, and passives. here's Here's how he puts it. He does not... The one who is below reproach is despised in his eyes. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt, and he doesn't change. Now, automatically, we don't like the idea that, well, you're not supposed to despise anybody in your eyes. Well, that's not exactly true. That's not exactly true. Uh, I mentioned this morning you know, uh, the shock of finding out we were moving to Thetis Island, British Columbia. And I've also mentioned many times before, the, the best thing that happened to me, and that, that, was, that was the worst three and a half months of my childhood, going away, no close second, uh, not... Uh, but I, I, did, I did experience one incredible miracle during that time period, uh, so uh, by the time I the, my first day of school there, you know, you take a ferry boat for 45 minutes from uh, Thetis Island into Vancouver Island, and then you, you walked about a half a mile to the school, and, uh, and they, you know, went into the office, and then they took me to my homeroom class, and I went through the three uh, morning hours, and by the time I got to lunch and was seated out at these uh, tables that... Uh, uh, it's, it, before the rain starts there in British Columbia, it's uh, almost perfect weather uh, in, the, in the fall there. So it's like going to be about 65 degrees to 70 degrees, you know, outside in September. And there's no bugs at all. You know, there's no mosquitoes. There's, no, there's just nothing. You know, so you could sit out there and you eat your sandwich outside and you're not, you're not doing any of this unless a bee comes along because that's the only bug that might come along. And, and so it's, it's, it's just like perfect. So I'm out there sitting at this table and, 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 and reflecting on the fact this morning was three times as disastrous as anything I possibly could have imagined. So as bad as I knew this was going to be, it has turned out much, much, much worse. And right when I'm thinking that, Ricky James walks up to me and says, Mind if I eat lunch with you? Now he saw me on the ferry because he lives, uh, he's, a, he's a native kid, he lives on on, uh, on what they called Cooper Island, right next to ours. But he was the only native kid on that ferry boat who actually went to the public school. All the rest of the kids, all the rest of the native kids, load onto buses, and they went to the Catholic school down in a place called Duncan, about 15 miles away. So just him. Nobody else. Him. He shows up. Mind if I have lunch with you? I didn't mind. Like, whoa, yeah. Uh, so we have lunch together. We went out and walked around town a little bit with what was left of the lunch hour, and then we get back, and he says, hey, you want to 
Want to meet me right here and we'll walk back to the ferry boat together? Well, yeah. Well, we did that every day for the whole three and a half months I was there. Um, But having said all of that about Rick, I would have to add this. And there was a lot of competition for this. Um, Of all the friends I ever had, of all the kids that I ever hung around with, he had the foulest mouth of them all, by far. I mean, creatively filthy and, uh, and, 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 and tremendously consistent, especially early on before he realized, you never talk this way. It's so, maybe I could lighten up just a little bit, even though you could add a little color to your vocabulary too. Uh, that was how he felt about it. Um, I've never appreciated a friend probably more than I appreciated him because I had no one else. But I did despise his language. Like, whoa, this is really something. This is really, really something. Um, and, and what the psalmist is saying, and that's the, on, that's the only proper reaction you can have to language like that is to despise it. It's not okay. No matter how kind this person is being to you, it's not okay, still, that they talk like that. Uh, there's a dis- you make a distinction between what's okay and not okay, not based on how somebody's treating you, but on an objective standard. That's what he's saying. Now he flips it around and goes the other way. And you, and you better really honor anybody you meet who fears the Lord. Whether or not you appreciate everything else about them. Um, uh, the uh, we were just talking about this at our, our staff meeting last last week. Um, I mentioned this morning, you know, growing up in fundamentalist circles. The, the worst of fundamentalism is really bad. It is. It's really bad. It's 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 terrible at its worst, and I've I, I, I've seen that. We are our, we were reading. Um, Frame's book on the doctrine of the Christian life, and we're on the section of uh, on marriage and divorce. And I recounted to uh, Dan and uh, Tanner um, when I was in junior high school. One of my my better friends, his his mom celebrated her 25th anniversary. Some of you have heard me share this story before, and then there. Uh, her, she was married to an American airline pilot, and they traveled to uh, uh, Hawaii together, where they where they seemed to, you know, sort of accidentally, you know, bump into another pilot and his wife. But it wasn't 
it wasn't an accident uh, at all. Uh, and, they, and they met and they had dinner together. And at the close of the, of the dinner, um, the, the other pilot said, um, let's swap wives. This is a 25th anniversary trip. Let's swap wives. Well, Phyllis is the only believer there. That's my friend's mom. Is this some kind of a bad joke? And it wasn't a bad joke. Her husband and the other woman got up and just left. And she was left there with that other guy. And and she waited around for a couple of days and her husband's name was Myron and he never came back so she just got on a plane and came home and, uh, and within a week she had divorce papers served her and and that's what happened to her. And then, and then at the Wonder Lake Bible Church, we informed her, well, Phyllis, you can't sing in the choir anymore because divorced people don't sing in the choir. Well, yeah, but what, what about pristinely innocent divorced people? Nope. Standards are standards. That's not good. That's not good. That's the dark side. However, some of the people holding to that dark side, generally speaking in their life, they fear the Lord. I knew them. I watched them throughout life. Things like that were definitely off to the side for them. They didn't make egregious errors like that on a regular basis, far from it. They were quite consistent in their walk with the Lord. And if you were raised in such a church, you know the kind of people I'm talking about. I think about a guy in particular named George Brabenick. He was, a, he was, generally speaking, a godly guy. That was have been his position, though. That was his position. And Psalm 15 says, you don't just get to throw that guy out. No, generally speaking, somebody fears the Lord, you honor them. Why? Because fearing the Lord is just central to everything. Now, they're sinners, so they're going to do dumb stuff. I don't know if you've ever noticed about this about yourself. I can guarantee it's true. I don't know what the particulars are, but I can, I can guarantee you. You've done dumb stuff. I've, I've done lots of dumb stuff, really dumb stuff inexcusably dumb stuff. I've done it. Um, More than once. More than twice. 
And yet, hopefully, there's a pattern, you see, of fearing the Lord. And he says, and those that are welcome in this tent, they honor those who fear the Lord, swear to their own hurt. In other words, they just, uh, this business of the Lord and his word has a ruling shape to their lives such that even when it's costly, they tend to pay it. He goes to their relationship with money. They're not big into getting every cent they can, so they don't put their money out to the poor at interest. They're not at all prone to take a bribe. They're not, they're, they're not Robert Menendez, you know. They don't have uh, bars of gold in their closet uh, uh, at home. They're, they're not like that. They're not like that. Uh, and he says, and, and here they are. Their lives are shaped. Their lives are shaped by the word of God in this way. That's who worships at the tabernacle at their best. And that's who you examine yourself. Is that you? See, you're supposed to use a text like, like, like Psalm 15 to say, am I anything like this? I need to be sure that I'm something like this. He closes with this this really, really magnificent, encouraging promise. It's the last little phrase of verse 5. The one doing these things shall never stumble. Or you could, you could translate it this way. The one doing these things shall not stumble forever. That is, they'll, 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 they'll never turn out to have been ultimately spiritually inauthentic. Can't happen. Those whose lives are shaped by the word of God this way, it can only be because the Lord has written the law in their heart. There's new birth there. It says, let a person examine themselves. Be sure this is you. This is you. He gives us this whole series of little tests. Test yourself by these things. And I promise you this. To the extent that you find these things characterizing you. I'll just guarantee you. You're the real deal. As Peter would put it and does put it in 1 Peter chapter 1. Your calling and election is sure. Your calling and election is sure. Let's pray.